Welcome to Uncivilized Unplugged, the world's number one live podcast experience, according to my best friend, Drew. Every week, I try to get the most interesting people you've never heard of and put them in front of a live studio audience, studio being a Zoom call, and ask them the questions that no one else is willing to ask them. This is a podcast for people who look at the civilized world and think, no thank you. I'm not interested in a white picket fence, 2.5 kids, alcoholism, divorce, and probably diabetes. My name is Trevor Bohm. I'm the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement, the Uncivilized Nation, and the author of Man Uncivilized and Today I Rise. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my new book, Man Uncivilized, please go to manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. If you're interested in joining us for a live recording of this podcast or any other podcast that you hear, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash unplugged. You're welcome to join. You're welcome to become part of this experience where you get to watch the conversation live and chime in with your own questions. And this wouldn't be complete if I didn't thank our amazing sponsor, Cured Nutrition, who makes the best CBD product on the market. Now listen, the only people I'll have sponsored this show are people whose products I use myself and I use Cure's products. I know their CEO, Joseph Sheehy, personally, and I start my day with their Rise product. I end my day with their Zen product. If you're interested in picking up some top quality CBD for you or your pet, go to www.curednutrition.com forward slash uncivilized and enter the discount code uncivilized. Now what we're about to jump into is a live call. So we're gonna start with a meditation. Please enjoy and thank you for supporting Uncivilized Unplugged. All right guys, welcome to Uncivilized Unplugged. As we like to say around here, the number one live podcast in the entire universe. My name is Trevor Baum. I'm the host and the founder and the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement and the author of Michaela. Look what I got the first copy of. And Uncivilized, the book, which I will get to in a second. So tonight is a big celebration. I have one of my absolute favorite humans coming on. We are going to address the fact that we are not related in a minute. And how that, <laughs> how we figured that out. My mission is to change the way one million men express their masculinity by combining the primal and the divine. Michaela has been a huge influence and teacher in my life. For those of you who want to get your hands on a pre-sale copy, the book is live tomorrow. I just checked the sales page and it looks like someone vomited numbers and code all over it. So the only asterisk to that is if my guy in Pakistan pulls through tonight, it's available tomorrow. If not, I will let you all know when it is available. We also need to throw a quick shout out and thank you to Cured Nutrition for sponsoring the podcast, Best CBD on the Market for both humans and canines. Now, let's rock and roll. For those of you who are new tonight, the idea of Unplugged is that you get access to a living room conversation. So two people who know each other who are just hanging out chatting. We don't really have a script. 
Uh, we have some guidelines and some things that we're going to talk about, but this is really freestyle and we wanted to give you access to, I want to give you access to high level people and thought leaders and people who think outside the box. And so I will introduce our, our guest tonight in a second, if you don't already know her, but I'd love to share the story of Michaela. The first time I met you, this was at a workshop in LA. And this was, I think you were teaching with Steve on, it was on polarity, or it was masculine finance. It was, it was a, one of the free ones in LA. And I remember going, I was about, God, a month into a marital separation. So things were not that awesome. But I thought, hmm, what an opportunity to perhaps learn some things about relationships because perhaps what I knew about relationships in the past needed an upgrading. And about an hour and a half into this experience, I remember thinking, holy shit, this is like jujitsu. This is like Chinese medicine. It makes sense to me in a way I don't yet understand, and I'm now obsessed with it. And I went home. I actually called my ex-wife from the car. We were still speaking at the time. I said, I think I found what I want to study for the next five years. And bam. And I remember coming up after, for those of you here, let's clear up the, the lineage. And I thought that Bohm was a really unique name. And I thought, oh my God, finally, like my relatives, like I hope they're not listening to this, like none of them are really cool. And so I was super duper excited to finally have a cool relative. And I was like, Michaela, my name is Traver Bohm. And you said, <laughs> like, a uh, this is essentially like having Smith or Jones as a last name. Well done. And yeah, I was walking away def a little deflated, but the information that came across in that workshop was life-changing and has been life-changing. So before I gush any more about you, and we could spend hours going through your bio and all the accomplishments and the who's who that you work with and your book, The Wild Woman's Way, which guys on the call read this book, ladies on the call read it four or five times, everybody get a, a copy of it. Michaela, in your own words, who are you? What are you birthing into this world? What are you building? What are you about? And also, is there something that you can share with us that most people don't know? Well, most people don't know that we are, in fact, related. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere, somewhere. My twin sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, we should do both do a DNA test and see if something shows up. If it shows, I swear to God, I'm telling you, I can tell. I can the accent, the hair, the, the shoulder. It's we're all. It's it's got to happen. We're you know second. He's in a pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but uh, you know, all joking aside, um, I would consider myself a teacher and. Um, author and experts and whatever you want to call yourself, right? I mean, there's so many titles in the realm of uh, relationship and sexuality. And where I mostly and work is the intersection of embodiment and relationship and sexuality. Because of course, uh, you can think your way into good sex, but really you can't, meaning you have to actually do it. You, know, you have to actually involve your body in um, in your relationship and in your sexual engagement. And sexual engagement is not necessarily um, intercourse. I mean that you know the play and the enjoyment and the flirting and the friction and the mm -hmm. attraction. 
that comes with um, being attracted to somebody. And the body is a very, very important aspect of that because if you're not involving the body, it's your head meeting another head and mm. all the good stuff that happens down here, both in the sense that that's where the pleasure sits, the power sits, the intuition sits, but also the boundary setting sits, you know, are not as available when there isn't good embodiment. So, you know, without going too far into my bio, I've spent over 40,000 hours one-on-one counseling with people. I've taught workshops for the last now 18 years. I've been at this for 34 years total. I started when I was 16, so that gives you an idea. And I combine essentially a very classic psychological training. I have a union, a degree in union psychology. I also have a, a very, very extensive education in the realms of trauma therapy. And um, I have a tantric background because my first teacher was a female tantric, tantrika. And uh, so, and that lineage nowadays. So, it's a wild bag of different things and I use them to optimize people's relationships. And what that means is, and this is very important to me, particularly nowadays, it's a one, you know, not one size fits all. There's no 10 tips for the perfect relationship. It's really, really important to get people connected to themselves so that they then can choose the style and the configuration of relationship that they want it doesn't matter if it's gay or straight or three people or five people or i i object to chickens being involved but besides from that you know <laughs> i'm i'm essentially <laughs> i'm essentially cool with whatever just don't harm any animals <laughs> so, <laughs> my- <laughs> <laughs> this is where we, I'm glad I just dive right in. So, so far yeah. we've covered you're a badass and no chickens. Okay, carry no, on. <laughs> no chickens. No animals whatsoever. Do not involve animals in your relationship whatsoever, in your sexual relationship, particularly. Mm, I second that. Yes. What's one thing people don't know about me? Oh God, there's many because I'm in, you know, I'm intensely private. Yeah. But here's a very, very bizarre tidbit um, that, that I don't know where it's coming from. I can match any paint color by vision from going from a room into the store. Um, <laughs> I have perfect visual recall on colors. I don't know why. It's some very bizarre thing but you can hand me you know, you can say this, and I can go into a Home Depot and pick you the card off the off the rack. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. You are insanely fucking useful. I would yes. love to just like, have you around at all times. Like, I don't know. Let's ask Michaela. Oh, you're painting yeah. the house. We can ask Michaela. Oh, your relationships network. We can ask Michaela. I love I'm it. Quite useful um, uh, in, in that domain. And, yeah. yeah <laughs> Kayla, what would you say if if we were to if our goal was to take the idea of sex and take it from this narrow scope of friction, not even just genital friction, but mostly friction, and in the US expand it out? How do we start that conversation or extend that conversation or get that to people who just went, wait a minute, you just said sex, but not talking about sex? How do we start that? Well, I mean, 
here, here's the thing to, to kind of uh, feel. Essentially, most of what we do is based on sex, right? And what I mean by that is the erotic play, the divine erotic play, however you want to say that, right? You can say that in more woo-woo or less woo-woo ways. But most things revolve around us wanting to combine ourselves with somebody else. Mm. And we live our lives uh, referenced to that particular endeavor, right? In some way or another, in the way we look, in the way we dress, in the way we choose uh, friends, drive cars, whatever, right? So there's that. We are always uh, engaged into the, in the play of the erotic, meaning uh, the polarity between us and something else. Mm-hmm. And us and something else could be us and a beautiful sunset. There's a certain kind of divine erotic play there. Mm-hmm. And it can be us and another human, depending on whom you're attracted to, another man, another woman. And within that... There is so much more than sex, of course, right? There is the play of the opposites. And the important piece in my work is uh, the kind of education I can give people to make them understand that it's the play of opposites, Mm. not the play of sames. And relationship is based on sameness, right? The more we have in common, the better we'll get along. See, we're off to a good start because we have the same last name. So, you know, so, so right there, we have a commonality. And then we can, you know, maybe let's just say I discovered that you have a love for orange soda and I have a love for orange soda. And, you know, um, yes, well, I'm, I'm on water. But, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, so, so those commonalities are what builds our relationship and what builds rapport and what builds the kind of resonance that makes people actually get along well. Mm. The unfortunate aspect is that the better we get along, the less exciting our sex life will be. Mm. That's just the way it goes. Because sameness creates uh, more and more, you know, togetherness Mm -hmm. and oppositeness needs the pulling apart. And so the classic scenario is people get to know each other. They have amazing sex. It's great. They don't know each other. Then you talk all the time. You spend all your time together, you know, finding out what you have in common. You both discover you have an obscure love of 16th century poetry or something, and you like uh, blowfish, right? (laughs) And, And there you go. And then now, you date and then you move in together. Now you have common friends. Um, you know, then you have common interests. You go places together, and one fine day, you find yourself next to each other on the sofa. You're wearing your matching sweatpants. You're watching whatever it is Game of Thrones or Vikings or whatever. You're holding hands. It's super nice, but no one wants to fuck, to say it very clearly. <laughs> right. And that's the moment people think their relationship is bad. Mm. Actually, their relationship is fine because relationally speaking, they're pulling on the same string. They are resonating. They are the same. Everything's good. Mm. You know, so for instance, relationship issues would be you can't communicate. You don't agree on religion, food, um, the upbringing of your children, whom to vote for, right? Those are relationship issues. 
And if you can't fix that, you have irreconcilable differences and then you divorce. Mm. Not being um, interested in having hot sex anymore, but nicely cuddling on the sofa is not a relationship issue. It's a polarity issue. Mm. And so within that, there is a lot of play that can happen when you understand the play of opposites. So the play of opposites, as I said, could also be with nature. You know, you can go into the surf and really feel that polarity of you and the surf or you and the thunderstorm. And you can feel that with a human. It doesn't matter if they are same sex or opposite sex, you know, that these principles apply in general. And when you feel that polarity, it creates that friction, you know, the good friction. So that's one aspect. The other aspect, when you talk about how can we open it up, is that how you feel another is through your own body, right? So when I look at you, how I feel you is things in my body register, right? And if I'm sensitive to my body, I can register things in your body. I can visually ascertain certain things. Like if you cry, I know you're probably sad, right? But, um, but or if you smile, you're probably happy. But everything else is somewhat else through the body. And so in order to be effective in being with another human, and feeling another human, you have to essentially be able to connect and feel your own body and be intimate with the self, right? Mm. And I know you talk a lot about this, and it's, it's super, super important, sensitizing to the sensations of your own body. And with that, you can then hear the messages of your body, of your emotion, of your thoughts, because you're not drowning it all out and numbing it all out and then from that place you can make a better choice whom you actually want to polarize with and whom you want to play with and how you want to be out there in the world as a sexual being right because there's a huge responsibility with being a thing both men and women alike because if you just walk around splashing sexuality and your preferences all over the place you know Best case scenario, you look like an idiot. Worst case scenario, you get attacked or locked up. Yeah. But, so you got to have some sensitivity to your own body. That's where I'm going to stop for a moment. That was exquisite. Thank you. Do you think it's, is it harder today to have a sense of our bodies and a sense of other people? And I'll dovetail that question with, do you think it's harder today to be in and stay in relationship? Or is that just the common, is that just like nobody, it's really hard to find a great guy in New York. What do you know? Everybody in LA says it's really hard to find a great guy in LA. Is that just kind of common conversation? Or do you think from your experience that it actually is more challenging to be in our bodies today and be in relationship today? Yeah, I think there are two issues, right? So it, I think, when we look at embodiment, right? Embodiment to me is nothing else but being, you're always in your body, of course, till the moment you die, right? Or if you astral project or something like that. But <laughs> Wednesdays, yeah, yeah. <laughs> otherwise, you're always in your body, but how much of the messages of your body can you hear mm. depends on how sensitive you are or how loud the outside world is, right? outside noises so if you and i are going to uh, 
an Aerosmith concert and we're standing next to each other or some whatever, some heavy metal or something, right? We're standing next to each other, front row. You're going to have to scream really, really loud for me to hear anything. Mm-hmm. But then if we have one of those matrix style kind of situations where suddenly everything disappeared and we're in a library, right? You remember that when 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 that thing is with the they're loading the program and then they're bringing the weapons in. So right, it's like right, right. they're taking the concert out and suddenly it's just you and I in an empty room. Right. You're going to sound insane right. because you're so loud, right? Screaming mm. at me. Mm. And so that's the metaphor for what happens in the body. Your body speaks. And when there's too much loud happening and loud can be uh, environmental overwhelm, mental chatter, you know, your emotional turmoil, the dance of your day, your email, your phone, your whatever, right? So all of that is noise. And in there somewhere, the body says the things the body says, but you can't hear it. And so embodiment is really being able to listen and be with the messages of the body. And so there's various ways you can do that. One is uh, reducing uh, stimuli. The other one is uh, relaxing the body. And the other one is sensitizing to the sensations in your body. Those are three of the main things I work with. So that all said, is it harder to be in our bodies than ever? Yes, absolutely. Because our bodies are essentially built to move all the time, right? That's how we lived for millions of years. It was movement, movement, movement. You walked, you gathered, you hunted, you rested in between, but you were always active. And now we're parked in a chair. You know, if you work somewhere, you're parked in a chair for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And then you drive home and then you sit in front of the TV if you're a normal functioning, you know, like functioning in, in the normal sense of the world human being. Yeah. And maybe you'll go to the gym for half an hour or an hour, right? And if you're really, really good, maybe you run in the morning. But when you look at the ratio of active movement in the body versus parking the body in order to work with the head, you get the idea of how the energy in our systems goes up. And that's why we have the tight shoulders, jaw, the headaches, the tension here, all the things people report has to do with the fact that the energy never goes to, goes down. And then mind you, then suddenly you want to be aroused and fully in your body. And it's easier for men than for women because of how men's systems are built. But for a woman to go from essentially not having felt her body all day to having an orgasm is a long fucking way to go, right? <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, sometimes that's just not worth the effort at that point. Right. And so that said, being in our body is no longer the thing that we do on a regular basis. And even if we want to go in our body, some people think that embodiment means that they just make the body scream so loud that it drowns out the loudness of, you know, of the environment. So you do some massively uh, activating exercise that makes the body have to scream, right? And then you go, oh, it feels good in my body. No, 
your body's just screaming so loud that it's louder than your environment. And somewhere behind all of that, your little L5 whispers, care for me, please, or whatever, your knees or your hips or your whatever. Your, your right? adrenal glands. Or your adrenal glands. That's a whole other issue, right? So that's, that's your question number one. Question number two, yeah, it's a lot harder to date or find somebody good. You know, I mean for better or for worse. And in the beginning, you know, I think people looked at online dating. I mean, I remember when people really started online dating, right? I was, I, I had a counseling office. I, I saw people eight hours, nine hours a day, and people would come in and show me their dating profiles on OkCupid or something like that, or JDate or whatever. I don't even know if that still exists, right? It still exists. I'm so, trying to get on it. And <laughs> I remember... I mean, specifically um, once with, with a woman client going through the profiles and it was like a candy store. Yeah. Right. It was like, well, I'll take that one and that one. And oh, this one's cute, but of course mm-hmm. it's not a candy store and they're actual people. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're not little Ken dolls that you collect and they usually have very bad habits and they're in for not exactly the same things that you might be in for. And so, um, I think there's a huge disconnect with the online aspect of it because you're not actually getting to feel the person. Mm. It's a very one-dimensional, uh, you know, when you get really good and when you can really feel the way people write, you can get an idea or not, but not really. And often the people who are actually good quality people have the worst profiles because they're just not those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, because there is, you know, people who are not spending their entire life uh, honing their their Tinder pictures, and they are not in the running, right? Even though they're probably the better people because they actually have a life, right. and their entire existence doesn't uh, consist of you know taking the first perfect butt shot for the for the Tinder profile, right? Which might take several days and enormous photoshopping, you know. I know people, they spend hours a day, you know, like. <laughs> and then that's what you fall for, of course, right? right. And then you end up spend a few hours a day mm-hmm. photographing their butt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then let's talk dick pics for a moment, right? I mean, when we talk about online dating, what the? Fuck happened, right? Yes, what I the fuck happened? I wrote a whole article on it. That, that yes, yes, but that's what we're dealing with. So why do we not get good, good dating pools anymore? Well, there's another reason too, which is uh, it has divided the the fact much wider, right? So. Except for the few years when you are younger as a woman, where you should and can, and I qualify the should in a moment, where you do some sports fucking, right? Meaning 
you're not necessarily looking for a relationship. You can be on Tinder and you're not kidding anybody about wanting to find your husband, right? Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. But at some point, this divide builds where you have, um, um, you said New York, there's no good men in New York, right? <laughs> I just was in New York seeing clients and teaching a workshop. And you have men who have suddenly all the women of New York available as a dating pool for a roll in the hay, mm. right? Because why settle down with one when you can constantly access all, mm. right? And then you have women who actually just want one guy to have a good time with for the most part, right? And to date and to eventually maybe have a family with and things like that. So the gap has gotten really, really big between, um, you know, it used to be, you, you, I mean, when I dated, <laughs> this totally dates with me, right? When I dated, there were not even cell phones. I remember specifically, I lived on the very, very top floor of a house in Vienna and I would come home from university. So I'm in my early twenties and I'd come in the front door and I'd hear my phone ring on the eighth floor walk up, right? <laughs> and it would be like, yeah, I'm not going to make it up there. <laughs> make it up there. If he wants something, he'll call back, right? And eventually one had an answering machine, but that's way later. But it wasn't that big of a deal, right? And I mean, if you were really, really, really crazy about a guy, you had to essentially sequester yourself at home and stare at the phone for three days or so because you couldn't leave the freaking house. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, you know, but what that did is it actually gave you a, a live sense of a human, mm. right? Because if you met a guy, right, when I lived in Vienna, the way people met was you knew which coffee house somebody went to. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to meet somebody or see somebody, you had common friends. So the person was somewhat qualified. Mm -hmm. You knew he wasn't an axe murderer because he knew other people and he's probably dated other people in your circle. And then that person could find you and then you'd hang out and you'd get to meet each other. But then if the dude didn't call for three or four days and you were like stuck in your apartment starving, you know, then that gave you a real time information about who that guy was. Mm. Right. And then the next time he sauntered into your coffee house, you were probably not so excited, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that there was some actual information there. Now, of course, with texts and everything, um, we miss all these signals, right? We miss all of that. Because it's all done via text. I don't know when I last picked up my phone and actually took a live phone call, right? I don't know about you. I don't talk to anybody on the phone if I can absolutely help it, right? So it's all text. It's super one-dimensional. Yeah. Emojis, as fun as they are, are not a substitute for feeling who somebody is. And then when you actually meet somebody... It's not that easy to ascertain who are they unless you can triangulate through friends and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you are actually, you think you're further along when you meet somebody on a first date than you are, mm -hmm. right? Because you've had uh, 
you know, shallow phone contact with them, which could have gotten as far as phone sex and whatever, right? I mean, people, people do all kinds of stuff before they ever meet. And so then you meet a live person and it's person to person. and You assume certain things based on the text exchange that your body hasn't caught up to at all. Mm-hmm. Right. So now I'm, I'm painting this horrible picture. And now there's, of course, also really good stuff, which is you can um, go through a vast uh, you know, amount of people very quickly and see whom you really like while and you're not wasting as much time. And if you're really good and you can kind of really feel people and, you know, you can learn how to qualify certain things. Do you have faith in, the, in dating moving forward? Is it? I try to say as an eternal optimist and, and tell people like, yes, but people still meet every day. People still, people are still getting married. People are still having babies. People are still falling in love. But then I also hear from people all day, every day. I can't find someone. I don't want to, it's, it's a mess out there. Yeah. You know, there's, I mean, I do have faith in general. I think people will always meet and, and figure things out. But mm-hmm. I also want to say that, you know, I've talked about this fairly extensively recently for a number of reasons. People have suddenly started asking. But the fairy tale that we think is relationship has really not ever worked for anyone. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, you can have like a good honeymoon period. And so you should because you're going to have to hold on to that for what comes after. You know, <laughs> um, well, but, you know, 40,000 hours of seeing couples and seeing people, I can tell you. Now, of course, you could say, you know, you don't go to the doctor until unless you're sick. So maybe I only saw sick people. But uh, in workshops, it's not actually sick people. It's people who want to improve their skill level. And um, for very few people, the conventional model of relationship works anymore. Mm. And when people would actually be honest, the things they say they want, they don't actually want. And this is particularly true with women often. Can you give an example? Well, I have a client, for instance, she's very, very beautiful and rather well known. And every time she meets a guy, Right, even when you're well known, it's also horrible because you never know why a guy is in for it. Right, every time she used to meet a guy, I should say that he was assessed under the husband criteria, and then it wouldn't go so well. Right, and then at some point, I think on on aborted relationship number three with some unbelievably good guys, I went, why? exactly do they have to be husband material right do you want to get married no do you want to have children in the next five she's a, she was in her early 20s back then right do you want to have children in the next five years no do you want to live with a guy no, absolutely not um what's the most important thing in your life right now well building my career mm. Okay, so why couldn't you just have a really good time with this guy who you really like and who really likes you and assess down the road? Mm-hmm. Right? 
So that's one fairy tale, one, one criteria that was actually not a fair criteria. But, and then on the other hand, of course, if you are in your, let's say, early 30s or mid 30s, and you do want a child, and you know, you're dating the kind of guys that are really hot and fun to be around, but they are not only dating you. And, you know, it's like this drama and you're just hoping that he will, uh, you know, become the, the, the man that you want him to be, where you're also, you know, delusional in a certain way, mm-hmm. which happens a lot. Women love dating potential, right? I mean, it's, it's, an, it's an incredibly interesting thing. Women go, I like this guy. When he cuts his hair, puts different clothes on, get a different job, has some different friends and starts working out, he'll be perfect. (sighs) And I'm done with him. He's going to be amazing. Steve always says it's like getting a fixer upper. Mm -hmm. Nobody else wants it, uh, but you're going to be able to paint the thing and it's going to be great. And then, you know, but... Of course, human beings are not fixer-uppers. And when a woman isn't into a guy the way he's right now, she's constantly, subtly giving messages of disapproval. And that's no way to live for any man. And, you know, the other way around, if you would say to a woman, you know, I like you, I want to be with you, but you need a boot job, become a blonde and grow five inches. She'll kill you. Well, (laughs) she'll kill you. But that's what women do all the time to men. And so it's, it's... you know, there's a lot of fairy tale and, and, and false expectations that make it that people who could have perfectly um, good relationships are not having them because they're not basing it on what is, but what they should be. Mm. And that's a big uh, piece into it. So I do have faith that people will always find each other. Mm-hmm. But when you see how many, how many, you know, marriages end in divorce and how many relationships end in utter disaster, I have to advise people strongly to consider what they really want and dig a little bit deeper before they, you know, dive in so deep. Mm. So. Thank you. That's, it's absolutely beautiful. Can we shift gears really quickly and just for, I want to be cognizant of your time, but just to speak about, since so much of my audience is men, or women who are going to write me and ask me questions about men. It feels like, and maybe I'm biased because I'm trying to do this, that there is a shift happening in the collective male experience or the collective masculinity experience. Do you see that from your experience in the last 20, 30 years of working with people? And if so, what do men need to do to break through this sort of stuckness that we seem to be involved in? It's a big question, right? I mean, I think the fact, uh, the fact, when I look at my father, for instance, right, an incredibly good man. Um, you know, my dad's. I mean, I can't say enough about my father, right? But and my mother. But we're talking men, right? Mm-hmm. My father had a very, very clear brief to his life. You know, which is uh, get an education, have a career, and support. My, his family and raise my sister and I well and love my mother well, right? It was pretty straightforward. Mm. And he did that superbly well, right? And 
Um, and it was in, in my parents' relationship, very, very clear who did what. They were very cooperative and collaborative, but it was pretty clear. My dad had a brief, right? Mm. Now, my parents got married right, right around women's lib, right? And, and my mother, by all means, is a very strong, liberated woman, but she raised both of you know, her children and stayed at home. So things were super clear. Nowadays... Uh, women can pretty much, you know, we still have a way to go, but we can pretty much do everything men do. And some of it we can do better than men for reasons that I'll describe in a second, right? And and that's actually a detriment because we get stuck with so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because we have these, um, you know, when you look at biology, evolutionary biology, uh, we we have to be able to keep multiple levels of task and engagement open because that's how you keep children alive, right? If you're in a cave and you have to keep uh, food on the fire and keep your animals from getting into the fire and keep your kids from getting to the animals and keep, keep everybody from falling off the back of the cave and you're probably also painting the cave. I don't think for one second that men painted those caves, right? <laughs> you know, So you're doing all of that. So you're, you're constantly multitasking. Now, when you're a man, well, very black and white, so you have to of give course. me some license here. But when you're a man, you're out there and you're like, hunt deer, hunt deer, hunt deer, right? If you think of anything else but hunt deer, you're not going to bring deer home to your family. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, a lot of women are capable of tending to multiple domains in the business world. And that makes them better at certain things. Right? And but in, in addition to that, women also still make you know create the babies in their bodies and feed them and birth them. So we didn't really exactly leave anything for men mm-hmm. to call their domain. Mm-hmm. Right? With women in the military and so on and so on and so on. So there's really no domain anymore where men have a brief. And I think that's a real problem, right? And then, uh, of course, when that happens, I mean, you know, you're way more aware of this than I am probably, the suicide rate and the depression rate and all of that. And that comes from a a being, right, a creature, uh, you know, a gender, however you want to say it, the mammal on the biological level, not having a job, Mm. Right, that that not having a purpose, and you always hear the talk about purpose, and yeah, I'm always a bit like eh, with the purpose because it's become such a dogmatic thing. But instead of saying having a purpose, which is a bit you know whatever, right, having a job, having something to fix, having somewhere to orient towards, having a north pole, so to speak, or a north star, mm-hmm. and when you don't have a north star. And by the way, women have North, North Stars too. And sometimes their men are their North Stars and sometimes their careers are their North Stars. But men don't get to have that anymore because a lot of the things that used to be the domain of men are now considered toxic or obsolete or they have been taken or they've been looked at funny. Uh, so there isn't a lot of places to go and there isn't a lot of places to hide. And that's a that's a real problem, and within all of that, right? Then we can talk about divorces and children and alimonies and all of those horrible things. Mm-hmm. But 
what do men need to know? Well, I think if I, when I look at the men that I work with, and I work with everything from super, super famous, highly potent, super rich men mm-hmm. to some guy who walks off the street, right? And the, the one thing that I would say is if there's something men should know is that they're way more sensitive that they're being given credit to. Mm. And most men I work with are so sensitive and they're so in tune and they're so emotional. And just because they don't express it the way women express it, um, you know, it's, it's not seen. And the people who do express it, then I looked at as wimpy. And the people who don't express it are considered toxic masculine. And it's a real, you know, it's real catch-22, a real mindfuck in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're told you're not, that you actually are. And so the owning of one's sensitivity and the owning of one's emotions and the owning of one's intuition and because of course you know men need intuition and sensitivity and feeling as much as women you know for one you couldn't hunt if you're not intuitive you know there's no difference there in the human beings are built to survive and as part of the survival aspect human bodies are highly sensitized to the environment and to let anybody tell, uh, you know, a guy otherwise, it's not good because it's it's very important. That is a capital that's a human capital that's been untapped so far. Mm. Thank you for saying that. I think what you're what you're doing by speaking that as an expert is giving men permission, and I think that's one of the spaces that. That's one of the pathways into this new evolutionary space or consciousness space, whatever we're going to call it, is we as men have to give each other permission. And we have to hear from women that we have permission and hear from experts and people in leading positions such as yourself to say, yes, she's right. It's okay. So guys, now hear that. You have permission. Michaela, one of my favorite, favorite sentiments of yours, and there's a million of them, but around relationship that you've talked about is the underservedness of generosity. Would you mind speaking a bit to that and framing it around how does one give generously without being codependent about it or just giving themselves into a whole? How do you balance that as kind of a last thought? Well, it comes back down to knowing who you are so that you don't lose yourself in the process. Mm. Knowing who you are, how much you can feel yourself, how much you are in your body. But aside from that, right, the non-mark of longevity of relationship is generosity. There's research done on this now. And it's funny, I said this the other day in an interview in England, and the woman said, what? Gifts? Expensive gifts? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Like, I saw, like, this Tiffany box, you know, like, holographic <laughs> appear between her and me. It, like, it, it had, like, this total thing. Yes. Stuff. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's not what I mean. What I mean is here is how you can make sure that you're not a martyr. Mm. It's generosity of the heart mm. right that's different than generous for the sake of getting something 
mm. because that's transactional generosity. And it's uh, different than being a martyr where you are essentially uh, leaving yourself behind in order to do something for somebody so that they love you. But generosity of the heart is when you feel your heart and you feel the other's heart, could you be your partner or somebody else, and you feel what you could give to that heart so that that heart is happier and more open. And then from that place, you're not going to martyr yourself. And it's simple things. It's essentially walking by your partner who is sitting at, at, at their desk and going to the kitchen to get yourself a glass of water and bringing them one, right? Because you can feel that the act of putting that glass down would give that person the feeling of openness or enjoyment or love. Or maybe they don't even notice it till way later. And then I'm like, whoa, where did this water come from? Oh, she thought of me, right? Or something like that. It's that. It's doing that one little extra thing that allows the other person to feel like they're regarded or considered. So that's one aspect. And then the other aspect, and this I think is a very, very important aspect, is that praise is something people don't do. People have no problem with complaints <laughs> whatsoever, right? But praise is something that costs nothing and you're not martyring yourself. There's no martyring in praise. If I say to you, um, you know, oh, you know, thanks for taking the trash out. I haven't paid for anything, right? I haven't compromised myself. Now, the reason some people don't do that is because they don't want the other person to feel like they can get comfortable. But that's really fucked up, really, right? It's, it is really fucked up because, you know, anybody who's ever had a dog knows that there's nothing better than positive reinforcement. And human <laughs> beings are no different. It's like when you do something and somebody goes, oh, wow, thank you. This is really nice. You will do it again. <laughs> and, and so practicing generosity, I think, is uh, the number one tool for becoming a, a, a more attractive and, uh, and better serving human right because you can yeah perfect well, thank because you you have to because you can yeah hear that everybody please thank you on that note i think I've, I've asked you this question i ask this at the end of every every conversation if one of my elite listeners and these are always this is the cream of the crop of humanity here if there's some way that someone can help you bring you something and not, not shiny Tiffany stuff, but connect you with someone or is there an organization that you support? How can we give back just a tiny bit given all that you give to the world and all that you give to people and be selfish? Well, well um, as you well know, right. And, and anybody who's listened uh, to the joke in the beginning, I have a huge soft spot animals, particularly for dogs, right? And I have lots of rescue dogs. And uh, I support an organization called Rescue from the Heart. And Heart is spelled H-A-R-T because her name is Annie Hart, A-H-A-R-T. 
it's a rescue from the heart. So if you want to spend uh, the cost of one coffee, you know, uh, on on uh, some really, really, really dire, in dire need rescued uh, dogs, one of which will probably end up at my house eventually again. <laughs> <laughs> I have six at the moment, so I'm I'm beyond capacity. But um, that, uh, if you know, that is something that I would, um, or any other dog rescue organization. But that's a very good one. Uh, that's always something that um, I uh, encourage people to do because one of the things that um, I've learned in you know in in being in LA and and doing things is that. I don't know how to say that. This will sound really weird. Dogs are saints, right? Mm. Dogs are saints in the sense that it doesn't matter what you do. They will love you. And when you look into a dog's eye, you're looking into God's eye, right? There's no other way of saying that because they're so wide open. And particularly in, I mean, I think in the US particularly, it's not like that in Europe. Um, animals are just so neglected and abused and, and, um, horribly treated at times and so it's something that is very 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 dear to me and um you know i spend a lot of time and effort and my personal money on donating in my i do other things for uh for people too you know but (laughs) something about dog right that that to me says wide open Mm. available love to be given regardless and and that's very dear to me thank you and that's rescue from the heart correct? Rescue from the heart uh h-a-r-t they're on instagram Facebook. they have a website rescuefromtheheart.org and the woman's name is annie and if you want to endlessly amuse her uh, put my name in the subject line. <laughs> <laughs> will do will do michaela how do people get more of you where do you hang out? Where are you? Can you tell us your website? Any workshops you have coming up? How do people get more Michaela? Yes. Well, there's lots of ways to get Michaela. For one, I teach almost 60 events a year. So, oh yes, on three continents. So I teach in Europe and the UK, the US, mostly in Ojai these days, you know, in California, but also other places and in Australia. Um, I'm assuming you'll post my website, so michaelabom.com. There is an enormous amount of free recordings on the website under Listen. I'm also on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. It's just the Michaela Bohm podcast. And that's all Q&As from live workshops where I'm answering people's relationship questions, sex questions. In the last podcast, which I published yesterday, I talk about sex magic and bad boys. So, <laughs> Beautiful. Lots and lots and lots of that. Instagram, mickbohm77. Uh, that gets you dog pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly. And, and some other stuff. Some uh, pictures of Steve. Yeah. Lots of pictures of Steve, who is um, an honorary dog, uh, <laughs> which means a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. And my dogs are like this, right? Um, and... Uh, the dogs think he's one of them and love them. And when Steve is at my place, which is, you know, whenever we are in the States, all the dogs sleep in bed with Steve. (laughs) All of of them. All of them. This is very good because my bed is empty and I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) Steve's like this, you know. 
because they press in, of course, uh, because they love that. But uh, yeah, that's how you can find me. And uh, as far as uh, hanging out, Ojai is the place where I hang out uh, when I'm around. But did we lose her? We can't, we can't lose you, Michaela. She's going to come back. I got to believe she's going to come back, you guys. So before she comes back, or or if we don't get her, I'm hoping she comes back in just so I can say thank you. Uh, Thank you guys for coming on. If you're pleased, if you're interested in getting my book, go to manuncivilized.com forward slash the book, and hopefully it will be available tomorrow. I'm going to throw this up on iTunes. It will, the recording will be on YouTube. I'm going to try to think of some shit to talk about for just another minute or two to see if Michaela actually comes back on so that we can give, oh no, hopefully she chimes back in so she, we can give her a proper thank you. Isn't she amazing? She is absolutely, absolutely amazing. And please do. Oh, she's back. She's back. I was back. I don't know what the hell happened. My computer died. It's all good. Um, I I was just singing your praises. I'm on my phone now and I don't know how to get video, but I am here. Okay. And I also wanted to say I missed whatever the hell you were saying, but I just want to say to everybody on the call, I have seen Trevor's prototype of a book and it rocks. Thank and you. so if you haven't thought about getting it, get it. It's visually amazing. It's got amazing content and uh, congratulations. And I know what it takes to write a book. Not an easy thing to do. So I hope tomorrow everything goes well and you get to enjoy book publishing day. Thank you, Michaela. And thank you not just for coming on here and, and so graciously and generously giving your time, but thank you for the teaching that you're putting out in the world. Uh, I found it at a time when I was going through something really, really challenging. And it was such a life raft and such a life preserver to just sit and listen to you and believe, okay, there is a different way of being in relationship. There is a way to use this pain. And you have shifted and are the foundation behind so much of what is in this book and I'm teaching too. So both personally, most personally, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Oh, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me on and thanks to everybody who listened. And uh, I'm now gonna get on my merry way. Beautiful. Thank you, Michaela. All right, you guys, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Please, when this does come on iTunes, please go and uh, find us. We are Uncivilized Unplugged. Feel free to give her a five-star rating. Feel free to share this. And thank you just for giving your time and for giving shit. Now, go fucking be uncivilized. I love you guys. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Uncivilized Unplugged. This is Trevor Boehm, your host. If you're interested in joining us for one of these live, for sitting and watching and being a part of the show itself, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash unplugged, hop in your email and you'll get a notification of how you can join. If you're interested in working with me or following any of my work with men, please go to Instagram and at Traver Bohm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. Every day I do a post, a video, or something about how to get you or a man you know from A to B. And if you're interested in buying my world-shaking book, this thing is really causing a stir right now, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. And lastly, please drop my sponsor some love. 
Cured Nutrition, www.curednutrition.com forward slash uncivilized discount code uncivilized. You guys, I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for joining. Please help me share this. Please help me spread the word. And as you know, go be a fucking legend.